You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Well, as we turn to God's Word, uh, we're going to pray. Um, I'll just give you advance warning. I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, which, if you've got a church Bible, is on page 670. Page 670. And uh, uh, we're going to pray that God will give us understanding and open our eyes to what we are about to read. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, we have this book, and in it, uh, we can take notice of what's written and we can study the, uh, the words on the page and we can bring to that process our experience and understanding. But we know, Lord, that it won't really amount to a can of beans unless you really open our eyes and open the eyes of our hearts, open the ears of our hearts so that we might respond to you with our will and so we pray you would grant to us a humility before the text but humility before you thank you for one another thank you that we can learn together and so be shaped together in the image of Christ in whose name we pray Amen so Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses uh, 1 to 8, uh, that's what we're going to study most. And um, some of you may remember, was it Mary Peters who sang this song a long, long time ago? I don't know. I think it was. I've read about that. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born. And a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. May God help us to understand his word. Just a a little bit by way of introduction, um, just to remind you if you were here um, a few uh, Sunday mornings ago, that um, Ecclesiastes is, um, it's a strange book in the Bible, there isn't another book like it, Um, and Ecclesiastes is the book that has this great sort of phrase running through it, vanity of vanities, uh, all is vanity, or 
meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. So it's a really cheerful sounding book that just brightens you up on a, on a dull January day. This is, <laughs> this is maybe not the best book for January, but, but there we are. Um, and what the, 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 the person who's writing Ecclesiastes, Koheleth, the preacher, probably Solomon, um, what he's doing is he's teaching um, the people in Jerusalem and in Israel, almost certainly the nobility in Israel, and the children of the nobility, he's teaching them the best way to live so that they might govern well and organize life well and lead well. So um, Ecclesiastes is actually sort of practical wisdom for life. Uh, it's how to make good things happen. But of course, who's to say what a good thing is? Who's to say what is good and what is bad? So the, the, the approach that Koheleth is taking is that the really wise way to live, the, the way to have the best life you can, is to have the right attitude towards God. Uh, there's a very famous TED talk uh, about um, leadership and organizations moving forward. And it has three concentric circles. And the central thing is why. So you need to ask why we're going to be doing what we're doing. And the next one out is the uh, what uh, are we going to do? Uh, so what's the sort of strategy for it? And then the, the third one out is uh, the how, um, the, the process. Which is fine, but it begs a question. Begs the question, what kind of universe do we live in? If you live in an impersonal universe, then that's okay. Why are we doing what we're doing? Um, what are we actually going to do to make it happen? And how will that work out in the process? But that's a massive presupposition, isn't it? That's a massive assumption to make that we live in an impersonal universe. And what the Bible from start to finish in fact, principally right at the start and then all the way through, it says, no, actually, we live in a personal universe. If you want to understand what we are like and what the world is like, you have to take a person into account. So going back to the TED talk, actually, there's a fourth circle right at the bullseye. And, and, and in there is the word who, the question who. Who is at the center of your life. Now, that's an inescapable question because for everyone, someone is at the center of your life. Why you do what you do and how you do it all revolve around someone. And what Kaheleth is doing is, is saying, in sort of thought experiment after thought experiment, and he's tried stuff, and he's trying to teach these, these, these people to say, if you take God out of the center and put yourself in the center, if you live just under the sun rather than under the one who made the sun, then your life will become meaningless. And it will be rendered that by death. It will just prove empty. Because even the best that you do will decay. Even the most worthwhile contribution you make will disappear in moments. 
and you're going to die. And then what? So he says, just, okay, just for a moment, just for the sake of argument, take God out of the picture. Do that kind of WYSIWYG life. What you see is what you get because what you see is all you is. As we would put it nowadays, just become a thoroughgoing materialist. And ask yourself, what point is there really? What point is there? And you'd be hard-pressed to come up with a convincing answer. Now, he does that so they can then bring God back into the picture and say, now look at what life is like. Now look at what life can become. Now look at what your experience of life is transformed into. When you live under the one who made the sun. So the beginning of the wise life, the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowing what to do in a situation, the best thing to do is the fear of God, a right relationship with God. That's not the kind of cringing, terrified fear. That's respect and awe and reverence and just taking God into account crucially in every decision that you make, every choice that you exercise. So that's, what the, that's the kind of the program, if you like, for the whole of Ecclesiastes. It's not actually a depressing book. It's saying there is an answer to the meaninglessness that is all around us if you take God out of the picture. There is an answer, and that is to live with God in the picture. So as he's going through the book, he sort of says, well, I've tried work, and I've tried pleasures, and I've tried deep thought and intellectual stuff, and at the end of the day, if you've taken God out of the picture, none of it amounts to a can of beans. It just doesn't get you anywhere. It just turns into something meaningless. And each time he's doing that, and more and more through the book, he's bringing God into the picture. And he does it here with respect to um, uh, the, 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 kind of the, the way life goes. So if you want a, a sort of a, a heading for um, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 8, for what I've just read. If you want a summary, it, it's, it's something like how to navigate in life. Actually, there's something a bit more visual than that. Put your hand up if you like watching ski jumping. Just raise a paw if you watch ski jumping. If you like watching ski jumping every now and then, good. If it's on, you're going to watch it. Well, why do you like watching ski jumping? What is the one thing you really want to see? <laughs> okay, you got it. Now, um, there's, there's another thing, which is downhill skiing. So this is, a, this is for those of you over a certain age, the Franz Klammer stuff. So you go, all these beautiful sweeping curves, just phenomenal control. Uh, and, and just it's so elegant and so powerful. And the guy just is, because he's got a girl as they're going down the, it's beautiful to watch. And then there's a third kind which is messy and it's untidy and it looks ugly and you think, what is going on here? And that's slalom skiing. So you've, you've watched it, okay. Maybe not have been Ski Sunday, but at some point in the past you've seen it, okay. Maybe it is if you're liberated. But anyway, so what they're going like, left, right, left, all the time. And it, it, they're plowing in here and turning and so you know, it's all over the place. But they get down the hill and they cross the finishing line. It is not pretty to watch, but boy, is it skillful. And of course, it can go spectacularly wrong as well, just for entertainment's sake. 
Now, what, what Kehelth is saying here is that actually that's life. Now, he's, he, I don't think Kehelth was familiar with slalom skiing. Um, <laughs> it's exceedingly unlikely, but, but that's the kind of thing that life is about. If you don't like change, then life will be very uncomfortable for you. Because change is not something in in our lives, is it, that takes us from one steady state to another steady state. Change is life. We cannot escape it. It's just how things go. So we are people of ceaseless change. So physically, we're all aging. Um, some, some of us look as if we are aging. Others don't. As we age, we acquire new abilities. And we lose some. Emotionally, life is a change all the time, isn't it? Very few people are feeling what they felt in the morning by the time the day ends. Our emotions can go up and down, whether we show it because we're extrovert or whether we don't show it so much because we're more introvert. Our moods, our health, the occasions, the surroundings, is is there not an emotional difference between a funeral and a wedding? The answer to that is yes, by the way, in case some of you are skeptical about weddings. And our circumstances are always changing. And our activities are always changing. Our work is changing. Our families change. Here as a, as a church, you're growing. So you're having to change some activities and just check others that you're doing. Now in that change, what Kaheleth is talking about here is that there are inevitable contradictions. So every path, or that slalom skier, has a right turn and a left turn, and it just kind of winds its way through life. Um, so there is a time to heal, for instance, and a time to kill. Um, who would know about that in Israel when he was writing? Who would know about that nowadays? Well, a shepherd, for instance, would know about that. A shepherd would know that there's a time to heal and there's a time to kill. Uh, I had two maiden aunts who lived in East Yorkshire. I'm from West Yorkshire. Um, and although I, I, it kind of gets masked a little bit in the accent, but um, it's very good of you to receive me uh, and uh, from Yorkshire, and very humble of you to do that. Um, uh, well, these two maiden aunts, one was a headmistress in a little country school and uh, in, in a little village called Buholm near Hornsey, and, and, and her sister, this was Auntie Cicely, was the headmaster, headmistress, which was a bit of a headmaster, actually, she was quite, quite a tyrant, um, and Auntie Jessie, uh, more meek, um, was the sort of school secretary. And they had, wherever they taught, they had tied, tied cottages. And um, so there's this great plan one, one year that there will be a goose for Christmas. So for no apparent reason, two geese were bought and stuck in the back garden at the, uh, at, at the schoolhouse in, in Buholm. And uh, kind of November came, and there was just a reluctance to kill these geese, or even one of them. December came... And a turkey was bought. And like for years, they're sort of a significant feature of my childhood. There were these two geese who themselves, for all we know, were sort of maiden aunts. I don't know. They kind of, 
You know how you become like your pet or your pet becomes like you. So these two geese in the back garden and these two ants inside. Uh, coughing cavassier with every cup of coffee. It was a bizarre situation. Well, there's a time to kill if you're going to eat what you're rearing. There's a time to heal. And a shepherd knows that. Uh, a developer, property developer, knows that there's a time to tear down and there's a time to build. Um, a husband knows that there is a time to embrace and a time to refrain. And if he's in any doubt about the latter, he just needs to watch carefully the look on the face. Don't you come near me. <laughs> You forgot to write on the kitchen calendar. And now look. That hug is not going to solve anything. Again, I've read about that kind of thing elsewhere in in, in books. The patriot knows that there's a time for war and a time for peace. A general knows there's a time for war, but mostly a time for peace. See, what he's writing about is, is we... It's our world as well, isn't it? This isn't some obscure book that belongs to the dusty shelves of irrelevance. This is our life. This is our society. And it's no different um, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, whether you're searching and want to know what Christianity is all about or, or, or if you've absolutely no interest in these things at all. So what are we to make of it? this life under the sun if we forget God if you live just under the sun just in the natural world as if there is no God who made the sun what will happen in these inevitable contradictions we will get confused our lives will feel purposeless Uh, we can get really oppressed by that sort of contradictory nature of life And we will tend to see ourselves more as the victims of circumstance and change. Have you ever felt like the uh, ball bearing in a pinball machine that you're you're going through a time in your life where basically just ricocheting off so many different things that are happening to you? You thought you were doing one thing, kapow, you get flung onto something else. You had plans for this, boom, gone. Something else happens. But of course, what Kehelleth is saying is, don't rule God out of the picture. And what he's teaching is a way to live through a year, through a life, with God in the picture. So what's at the heart of it? Well, I, part of our tendency is, is to, to concentrate on the things that there's a time for. So, you know, we think, okay, there's a pl- time to plant and time to uproot. So we can read this passage and think, yes, there's, there's that going on in life and there's that going on in life as well. There's, there's um, embracing and refraining, there's, there's weeping and there's laughter and all, all those things. But that's not really what he's pointing to. And it's, it's easy to miss the wood for the trees uh, in, in a passage like this. So what is it all about? Uh, well, here we go. What's the repeated word? What's the rhythmic word? What's the architectural word in this passage? What is the word that crops up 29 times in these eight verses? 
that's a subtle clue. <laughs> you can shout it out if you've got the answer already. Time. Now, um, the word time that is absolutely central to this, that is therefore what the passage is about rather than each of the little elements, killing, healing, weeping, laughing, scattering stones, gathering them, that kind of thing. Um, the thing that it's really about, the thing that, that, that is repeated so often, that's drummed into our heads as we, as we read it, this time is something that we need to, 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 to get a, a real clear handle on. Um, because the word for time here in the Hebrew, eth, um, is not the word for, not the, the way of thinking about time, which is most common to us here in the West nowadays. Our view of time, let me sort of go from, from the, the Hebrew of the Old Testament to the Greek of the New Testament. Greek has two words for time. Um, one is chronos and the other is kairos. Now, um, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, um, the word time here is kairos all the way through. In fact, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, kairos occurs 300 times, chronos only 100 times. That's because the Hebrew mind just wasn't interested in chronos. So what's chronos? Well, I have here a... Watch. A uh, fancy word for it is a chronometer. Chronos was a Greek word for measuring off time, intervals of time. So just as we have indices around the edge of a watch, which just measure off the passage of time, second by second, minute, hour. Or if you imagine a flow of time, if you imagine a stream and, and, and you've, you've thrown, you're playing poo sticks and you've thrown a, um, a stick in at one end and you've got little markers on the side of the stream which go one, another, another. And if the stream's going faster, it goes past more quickly and all that kind of thing. It's just marking off time. That is our Western obsession and it's the way we just normally think the word is used. So, in the playground, remember, you would play, what time is it, Mr. Wolf? Had I been doing the children's talk, we might have had a game of what time is it, Mr. Wolf? So, our, our, our sort of habitual question is, what time is it? And we look at our watches. Or we consult our calendars. And we like to have everything neatly organized by time. So we know that a meeting is going to last from 7 o'clock in the evening until 8 o'clock in the evening. And at 8 o'clock, whatever's actually going on, business-wise, in the meeting, emotionally, in the room, relationally, between people, 8 o'clock the meeting stops. So it was a given that throughout the British Empire, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, everything stopped for tea. Whatever was happening. Spiffing game of Perlo. Stop for tea. Uh, a nice engaging battle. Stop for tea. A stroll around the grounds. Stop for tea. Because it's four o'clock. Didn't matter whether you were thirsty or hungry. It was four o'clock. You would have tea. Because the clock says so. That's Kronos. The other Greek word, kairos, which is the same as, as the, the in concept as, as the Hebrew here, eth, is a different thing. It's, it's, what is the right 
time to do something? What is this the right time to do? What's coming together that makes this a time to do this and not that? What is this the most appropriate time for? That's what Eth is all about. And that's, that was the normal way that the people in the Old Testament would think about time. They were so lax about time that they didn't even have enough names for the months in the calendar. So half the names of months in the Hebrew uh, later on in their history were loan words from Babylonia when they were in exile. So have you got a spare, spare word for October or something for us to borrow, please? So they wouldn't say, okay, it's time for harvest because it is the uh, second week in September. You'd look at the weather, you'd look at the crops, you'd look at how many people you could get together for the harvest. And when the time was right, which had nothing to do with the calendar, you harvested. It's the same for a farmer now. You sow when it's the right time because the right things are coming together. We know all about that, don't we? Most guys know that there is a time to pop the question. Get it wrong, get it right, you're still only in with half a chance. Um, You know that there is a time to sell your car because there's enough rust that you know about that the person looking at it can't see. You know that there is just the right time to do this and not that. And it is as much a feel, it's as much an intuition as anything else. It is being able to read what's going on. So in the Old Testament, the men of one tribe, Issachar, Uh, were known and renowned for their wisdom and they were trusted for their wisdom because they could read the times. Here it would be the Dundee Courier, but uh, they could read the times. They could just sense what was happening. This is the right moment to do something. This is the right time to make this move and not that move. This is the right time to go into battle. If, If we leave it, we will lose the moment. And so we have, um, in, in, in our own sort of idiom, in our own language, we have that, 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 that saying, Latin, carpe diem, seize the day, act now. The interest rates are just right. You're never going to get an offer on a mortgage like that again. You do have enough for the deposit. You like the house. Don't delay. That kind of thing. And so as, as, as he goes through life's contradictory slalom event, Kehalath is saying what? He's saying, well, if you're living under the one who made the sun and you're wondering what's going on, you ask yourself, what is God pouring into this moment not what time is it i.e. calendar and clock but what is God doing now and if you've got the who at the center of 
those concentric circles. Then you will know why you are going to do this and not that. And he will be a driver because of what he's pouring into the moment. And you'll know what to do and how to do it. What is God pouring? At the moment, God is pouring into the life of St. Peter's growth. He might not always be doing that. It is entirely his work. At the moment, perhaps for some of you in your family, God is pouring in a time of change so that the kids have grown up to a point where they're, they're moving away or they're going to be moving away. We've just had 17 years of fairly settled life. And now it's like God is just sort of uprooting this and that and this one and that one in the family and just moving us around. It's a time for change. It doesn't matter what the calendar says. Can't turn around and say, oh, no, you, thou, thou must not do this, Lord, for, for it is 2016. Like, right. So what is God pouring into the moment? The moments, the seasons when God is filling your life with his content. What is the content? And what are the right things to do before him? This is how to live the life of a Christian, of a disciple of Jesus. Really being a disciple because a disciple follows and learns. So that where Jesus is taking your life and you read it by what he's pouring into your life and what he's pouring into the moment, that's where you go. So when I was a minister of, uh, of Logie, St. John's, um, just up the road there, around, around the corner, um, we had a holiday club. The first holiday club we'd ever had, we're winding the clock back to, to the mid-1990s now. And um, we, we had a great time. We waited for five years until we could do it all with folk from within the, the, the congregation, and it was an absolute blast. Um, we, uh, we did a script union program all about Peter the fisherman. Um, my entire family, apart from Matthew, who wasn't born then, can still remember the song that went to it. I, should, I would sing it to you if it wouldn't be an act of cruelty. Um, overnight... The Sunday school went from about 15 to 70. Well, what are you going to do with that? And there was an older group that had been coming to the holiday club who was still coming along as well. And for a while, we'd been thinking, we need like a youth fellowship, a youth group. But for a while, we'd been thinking, well, there aren't that many youth, actually. And who would do it? And over the space of about six weeks, the numbers just went sky high. But also, a few people started coming along. Or a few people who had been coming along for a while, I suddenly found out that they'd, in the church they'd been in another city, lo and behold, they'd led the youth group. And they were wondering how they could serve. So it's not rocket science, is it? You've got all these young folk and a whole lot more coming up. They've had a great time. They want to carry on. They've got so much to learn. All of a sudden, you've got people who can do this. So now is the time to go to the elders and say, listen, we need to get this started. And here are the people who could do it and everything else. It was just the moment. 
to act. Leave it too long, people start to drift away. So it's just having that sense of what is God pouring into the moment, being able to read the times. Jesus spoke about it. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 15. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, it's quite strong language, hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? So what was the present time? It was the time when the Messiah had come and he was speaking to them. What was God pouring into the time? His Savior and his Lord. And the people were very adept at judging the right time to do this or that in life. But when it came to Jesus, when it came to the Savior and the Lord, Jesus said, it's not just that you're as thick as two short planks or something like that. He was saying, actually you're being a hypocrite. There is an act of the will which will respond to what you can see in nature or the rest of life, but refuses to respond to what's in front of you when it comes to me. So what are we going to make of this? Well, first of all, if, 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 you, if you get this, if you see what it's about, um, then um, respond to what God is doing at this time in your life without dismay and without fear but with the request Lord just show me what to do here and, and without that sort of half-hearted response because he won't do this because half of he wants to be doing that if, if the time has come for this then that's what God wants you to get on with. Not that. The time might come for that later. You know, some of us perpetually live as if the grass is going to be greener on the other side. There's this old uh, saying about men are not interested in what's on TV. Men are only interested in what else is on TV. So you get the remote and you start flicking around. No, no, no. If God is pouring this into the time, into this moment in your life, then you give yourself to that wholeheartedly as to the Lord. Lock, stock, and barrel. So you weep with those who weep. And you party with those who are partying. And you take what God is sending as coming from the one who is too wise to err and too loving to be unkind. And instead of struggling and struggling and wishing for something else and basically kicking against God 
accepted. What if God at the moment is pouring into your life a growing awareness that life under the sun really does suck? Not necessarily because of the circumstances, but because of the meaninglessness of it. What if God is pouring into your life at the moment an increasing awareness of precisely what Jesus was talking about with the crowd in Luke chapter 12? What if at the moment you hadn't seen it coming? You hadn't engineered it? God is pouring into your life stuff about Jesus of all people. Well, what's the sensible thing to do? Stick your head in the sand? Stay under the duvet? No. If God is pouring stuff into your life at the moment about Jesus, about church, about who you are and what you are and why you're here, then go with that. Run with that. Ask the questions, explore it. But most of all, do what Jesus wanted the people to do in Luke chapter 12. Receive him. Respond to him and all his grace and mercy and all his infinite love for you. What time is it? Well, irrespective of the fact that it is 12.28, it's time to stop. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give to us not simply the, the sensitivity, the discernment to know what you are pouring into the moment in the fellowship, in our families, in our own individual lives. Lord, we ask not only teachers this art of discipleship, But Lord, we pray, teach us to respond to Jesus. Open our minds and our hearts so that we might respond to him and follow him. In whose name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.